Hey, we're pushing pause on our series today in order to welcome someone who's not really a guest, but more like family to us. Pastor Jim LaFoon is here with us today. And Jim uh, is the senior prophetic voice for Every Nation Churches and Ministries, and he travels the globe with our Every Nation family and also ministers quite a lot to other ministries around the world, many of which you would know if I named them. Uh, but Jim is a special grace to hear the heart of God and to speak that to individuals and to churches in addition to being a great pastor and Bible counselor and really friend to so many. Uh, Jim and his wife, Kathy, live in Nashville, Tennessee. They have how many, how many children would you like me to, to name? Five, that's right. So they've adopted and fostered many, that's right. So it's, you know, it's, uh, he's got quite the home, nine grandchildren, if I recall correctly, nine grandchildren, uh, and uh, really, above all, values, friends, and family. You know, I met Pastor Jim as a college student, as did my wife, Carrie, and his mentorship and friendship with us over the years just can't be overstated. Uh, when we came back here to pastor this church in 2010, our local church wasn't even connected with every nation. We were trying to turn a corner here locally, and Jim was the first one to come. And he stood right here on this stage and preached about a resurrection for this church and for our spiritual family, and God has done a great miracle. He's been faithful to come here every year since we've been here, except for that sort of odd year in 2020. Can't remember what happened that year, uh, why he might not have been able uh, to make it, but uh, he's trying to slow down his travel schedule a bit, which is why we had to cancel last night. Sorry about that. But we're grateful to have him here in person for our 9 a.m., and then after this, we'll sneak out and run down. He'll visit our South Campus for the first time today and be with Mosaic South. Would you please give a warm mosaic welcome to our friend, our family, Pastor Jim LaFoon. Wasn't that an amazing testimony about what happened in Cape Town? Thank you so much. I love South Africa. I've been there about 23, 24 times, I think. Um, love our Every Nation family there. Um, must have been 1995, one of our great churches, President Mandela was walking through the college campus and um, our churches were all multi-ethnic. And of course, he sends word to our pastor, President Mandela would like to speak. Like, what do you say? One of the greatest leaders of that time. And he stands up in the campus looking out on our just hundreds of students, just like a rainbow of people. And he says this in tears, this is my dream for South Africa. How many of you know what's impossible with man is possible with God? There's nothing impossible. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, what an hour we live in, such turbulence at every level these last years, but yet your promises are so powerful. Help us in our moments together this morning to capture where we are and what you're saying about it. I'm going to basically entitle this message, Peace on Earth, Fairy Tale, or faith promise? Is it possible in your life 
not just personally, but as we look at our world, to find peace. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, the author says, suddenly there was a great company of the heavenly host. That's just a bunch of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now let's talk about our place and their place for a moment. The original context in which this was promise was given as one of fear, terror, oppression, and upheaval. The Judea of that day had been under the, the boot of Roman oppression, starting many years before when Pompey had taken Jerusalem. Brutal oppression, crucifixion. In fact, in 70 years, their capital would be destroyed and they wouldn't have it back for 2,000 years. How could the angels say, even in the middle of this hell, there's peace. That when God's favor rests on your life, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're going home to, no matter what you're facing in your business, no matter how depressed that child is and you're wondering, will he or she take their own life? I've faced death in all its forms. I've laid dying. They've told me my wife has brain cancer. I've held a dying child. Faced a lot of death. How's this peace work? Let me just take a moment and talk about where we are. And Morgan alluded that I get perceptions from the Lord. And I could go all the way back a long time talking about where we are now. And Morgan knows it. And these things have been recorded. But I don't want to go back too far this morning. I just really want to go back. Really, to, I'll start on August 24th, 2023. As far back as into 2018, when I saw the things coming on the world, I realized that in the middle of this pain, God was going to move. In the middle of upheaval, I saw all the polarization coming to America, all the pain, and God said, America went in an anarchy, I'll pour out my spirit. But as I got to um, August 24th, I was just crying out, Lord, the world's in turmoil, and if I see it right, more is coming. Are you going to move in the world? Like, what's going to happen? Are you going to pour your spirit out. And I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I lay down to take a nap. And the next thing I knew, um, I saw the UK. No one knew the queen was sick. The UK was just in a time of mourning. They were lowering the Union Jack to half-mast across the nation. I thought, man, who's died? I just saw such grief shaking them, affecting them. The next thing I knew, I saw this perception of Jesus stepping out, grabbing the lanyard, jerking it down. The Union Jack goes screaming to the top. And God says, listen, I've not forgotten my promises to the UK. I'll restore my glory. You watch what I do. I'll pour my spirit out. He said, in fact, Jim, I'm going to open the historic wells of revival all around the world. A week later, the Lord came and said, this is what this means. When the Queen of England dies you will know that the move of the Spirit of God on the earth is eminent. This is documented. I have a lot of friends of, of geniuses, brilliant, key business leaders and all in England. And they said when the queen died and they were lowering the flag to half-mast, rainbows were appearing. These are, these are men of genius character. 
So in the middle of all the turmoil, God's up to something. It was January 1st of this year. I'd had sinus surgery at the end of December and couldn't fly for 30 days. I was sleeping in a recliner much of the time. I've flown millions and millions of miles, um, and that's not always great for sinuses. Anyway, sitting there in my recliner, I woke up. It was 1.30 in the morning, January 1st. Lord said, go out to your office. So I staggered out to my office, which is off our garage. And next thing I knew, and I don't want to go into details except to say this, it was very clear the earth was headed toward chaos and destruction. There was such a clamor. And the Lord spoke to me and said this, this will be a turning point year in the world. In fact, you'll see a number of turning points, but the world is going to come to a place of such chaos and such pain. The sabers are going to rattle. The winds of war are going to be so strong. People are going to be terrorized and wonder if we're going to make it. But I want you to know, son, in the middle of that chaos, in the middle of that pain, when all the world is alarmed, and indeed, all the world's been a currently alarmed, terrible war in Europe, just the, the pain in the Middle East, and I've ministered a lot in the Middle East, both to, really in particular to Palestinians, but I have friends ministering to Israelis. Listen to me. God says, I'm going to intervene. Now let me fast forward to February 3rd. I was sitting in my office, one of my walls, basically a world map, and I began to see these thunderstorms. Thunderstorms are basically cumulus clouds stack and form a pillar of the cloud. That's interesting, isn't it? And God said, Jim, thunderstorms of my spirit are coming. They're going to come to America. You've seen the first drops. I'm going to rain powerfully on America. On February 8th, of course, you haven't heard the little Asbury visitation. We have a church there, so a lot of our people were involved. One of our campus ministers is on the board of that institution and went and spoke. And here's what really happened. The person that preached in chapel thought it was one of his worst sermons. A few college kids stayed. The Holy Spirit began to show up. This is the first revival that ever met social media. The next thing they knew, 20 of their friends were there. The next thing they knew in the next two weeks, 70,000 people were there. There was a million hits on TikTok, Asbury Revival. It's a, it's, you wouldn't like, there's no cool lighting in that auditorium. It's kind of ugly, austere. It, you, you would go, man, this is weird. This is like a 100-year-old church. Well, God didn't mind it, and he showed up. Students were dragging their mattresses into sleep. What happened? God showed up. Now, it's not surprising, in 1970, Asbury had that before. That helped fuel the Jesus Revolution. Anybody hear that Jesus Revolution movie? By the way, I lived in the middle of that. Isn't that interesting? You say, you're that old. I know I look 30, and give or take 39 years, you're right. But anyway, good eating and good living will get you this way. Take hope. That's why I didn't sit on that chair. I thought, only half of me is going to get on that chair. Anyway, so much for that. I said, Morgan, who'd you think was speaking today? Anyway, okay, you? Now, but humor aside, when the Jesus Revolution visited San Diego in 1971, I was a senior in high school, the high school felt like this. Getting saved became the thing to do. We'd worship by the hundreds at lunch, crying by the president. Here we are, middle of this turbulence, wars, 
crazy economy, an obviously politically polarized America, to say the least. You say, well, like, where are you? I'm very partisan about Jesus and not partisan about either party, in case you're wondering. But let me say this to you. God's on the move. Now, I'm going to share one last thing that I want to be very practical. I woke up this morning, and um, the minute I opened my eyes, the Lord talked to me about this church. There's a concept in the Bible called favor. We just saw it. God's love, God's grace coming down. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, I want you to tell Morgan that this church is going to come into an unusual time of my favor. My presence is going to grow very thick here. Unusually thick. People won't want to stop worshiping. People will be drawn. In fact, it'll be so unusual, it chases them home. But my presence is going to touch them in their devotions. He said, and if I see it right, as we, as we cross, as we hit Christmas and cross over in the next year, you will know a thickening of God's presence that's unusual. You always have great, I mean, I love the worship here today, but I'm talking about something not typical. You typically have good worship. I'm talking about lingering presence. Now, the problem with all these wonderful thoughts is what it takes to prepare the world for it. I wish I had a map to show you some things I don't. What it takes to prepare the world for the move of God's spirits, it's not easy. We get afraid. Um, you women that have had babies, you know, the only thing that makes birth pangs worth it is the child. And God uses that as an example of revival. So in this moment, how do we find peace? Like, how's this happen? Now, we know God promises us peace. And there's two ways we can be inspired to seek the fruit of the Spirit or peace or how that works. One is scripture, the other is pain. Like Isaiah 9, 6 says, he's the Prince of Peace. John 16, says, I've said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. You may have peace in the world, you'll have tribulation. How do you have peace and tribulation? When I was driving down the road after they, to my four small children, if they told me my wife had brain cancer, and I'd know the next morning, how are you peaceful? How's that happen? How could I be flooded with peace in my turmoil go away? Like, how's this work? The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There's a peace which passes understanding. Like, how's it work? Why is it important? Because we got lots of tribulation. I don't want to be too medical this morning. I'm no doctor. But when you live with your fight or flight reflex triggered, it affects every part of your life, your sleep, your digestion. How many of you have seen that happen? You burn out, you're tired, all these things. Okay, how's it work? Like if you needed more peace, what would you do? How would you find it? Now, first of all, let me say, 
It's clear from scriptures like John 14, 27, that the peace of God operates very differently from our typical understanding of peace. John 14, 27 says this, peace I leave with you. I give it to you. But it does not work the way the world's peace works. I'm ad living. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. As a Christian, I can choose if my heart is going to be troubled. Now, well, how's that happen? I've definitely had plenty of personal pain. I've had most of the things happening that you don't want to have, the calls, cancer, all these things. I live in crisis all over the world. How do I keep my heart from becoming troubled? Affects your sleep, your digestion, all these things like, how's that happen? Here's the key. God's peace is not based on your circumstances. Anybody with perfectly happy circumstances is going to be peaceful. How often does that happen? And the problem is if there's any form of trauma in your life, and there is in most of our lives, when unpeaceful circumstances happen, that old trauma opens up on the inside. It's like the fault lines of earthquakes in your life. But here's the thing. The peace of God does not flow from the external world. It flows from your internal world, really the eternal world. Galatians 5.22 says this, the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of your circumstance, not the fruit of getting everything you want, not the fruit of that big promotion. You know, that stuff's tricky anyway. The most miserable people in the world are not those who've not gotten what they wanted. It's those who've finally achieved everything they thought they could achieve, and they're not happy. They're broken. I've prayed over my share of celebrities and these different types of people, watching them fall to their face, weeping and crying on the floor. Why? Because there's nothing that can give you peace outside the Prince of Peace. There's no amount of money. There's no success. Now, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, okay? You can love those that don't love you. It's joy that no matter how depressive your circumstances are, joy comes. And that doesn't mean depression's not a very real thing. And it's peace. Now, if you needed a new level of peace in your life, I can always use more, personally. I mean, how many of you know the world and the country are troubled right now? It's no joke. People say, we haven't been this polarized since the 1960s. No, we haven't been this polarized since the 1840s. There's deep polarization in the country. Do I think we're headed to another civil war? No, I don't in my prayers. I think we're headed to revival and God's gonna have mercy on us. But people are afraid. In the big uh, Toronto newspaper, they wrote, when America falls apart, should we take them in? <laughs> well, I, for one, am happy to live in America. If you're Canadian, that's fine. That's nice, too. Okay, all right. Now, just being humorous. Let me lay for you a moment a biblical foundation. The Bible says this in Isaiah 26.3, and by the way, I'm 
in the ESV other than the first scripture. You will keep him in perfect peace. That's a double shalom in the Bible. It's more than just the absence of anxiety or conflict. It's a state of well-being. Your idea of peace is nothing making you anxious. The biblical idea of peace is even if things are trying to make you anxious, there's such a presence of divine peace, you're not falling apart. Anxiety will sap your energy. Anxiety will steal your strength. That's why it says peace to those people on the earth who are under God's favor, saved by him, touched by him, in relationship. That's not some mean fact because anyone can turn to Christ. Now, then it goes on to say this, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Now in the Hebrew, that's an interesting word. The word stayed comes from the word steadfast. It means to be founded on or to rest on something. In other words, that if your mind rests on what God says, you can have peace. Like, I can sit in this chair and I can rest on it. The Bible says if you just trust God and you're resting, if you're, that fastens your mind. How many of you, your mind goes crazy sometimes? All kinds of anxiety. You feel like you're playing ping pong. Your paddle's the word of God and all these balls are back and forth. God says, no. If your mind's fastened to me, if your mind's resting on me. Now, because he trusts in you. Your level of anxiety is an indicator of what you're trusting in. Am I trusting in my economy, trusting in my job, trusting in myself? Now, second point is, I practice lifting my burdens and my anxieties to the Lord. I never get, in my early 30s, I ended up with an autoimmune disease. They didn't really know what it was in those days, and I had some of the, one of the best doctors in the world. Deep Christian, um, he was Iranian. He was saved through a visitation of Jesus. Never married, medicine, he, he ran all the intensive care at Duke, he was research. he took care of me. And he goes, you know, we can't help you. Now if your doctor's a Christian and says you can't help, then you feel, then you feel hopeless by God and medicine. I was 33, I'd go to my office, my joints would freeze up, I'd fall to the ground, 34. And I realized what did it was not just my schedule, it was what I was carrying. And God healed me, thank the Lord. Um, but how's that happen? So the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. I read scripture like that, I think, Lord, if you live down here, and he reminds me, I did, don't forget that, okay. Don't, I mean, give me a break. Don't be anxious about, I mean, as a parent, how many of you can't be anxious about your kids? You go, the older they get, the better it gets. No, it doesn't. You still worry about them when they're married. I mean, then you get grandchildren, you worry about them too, okay. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, the Lord is a great counselor because what he's gonna tell you is, I want you to put off the pattern of anxiety and put on another pattern. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. But in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. Now watch this. In my own life, I have learned the importance of verbally lifting up my anxieties and stresses on a regular basis in an attitude of prayer, worship, and thanksgiving. There are times I write them all down and worship over them and tear them up. Now, why would I do this? You've got a choice. You're going to worry over your anxieties or worship over your anxieties. I don't have to tell you the result of worry, but what happens when we worship? What happens when, Lord, I, I mean, I've got, I, I mean, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a number of friends facing death right now. Morgan knows some of them, some of them he knows and doesn't know they're facing death. I seem to get the news when someone's good at, they're facing death. I mean, I've got a list of people I love. What do you do with that? Like, how do you handle that? Let's talk about that. The Bible says when you worship through your anxieties, and I'll be very practical in a moment, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. I mean, we're talking about some pretty dear friends here. I've got some, you know, three men very dear to me all have a death sentence right now. And some others as well. How do I walk through my anxieties in such a way that God's peace guards my whole system? Guards it from the results of anxiety in my body, in my heart. How do I do that? Let me explain to you just for a moment what happens. And um, basically, the peace described here is not external, it's internal. How do we experience that? Let me explain to you. How many of you know when you worship, you connect with God? Raise your hand. You feel his presence. Now, how many of you felt God this morning? Okay. Some of that was spiritual, but a lot of it was neurochemical. Um, one of the most brilliant young neuroscientists in the world, she had an endowed chair at Columbia by 32. Brilliant young African-American. Her husband's one of the most brilliant psychiatrists in the world. They're friends, and we talk about this stuff all the time. She's the one that first taught me, start the day with worship. It's obviously better than a donut, though I didn't believe her for a while. <laughs> It's even better than running. I knew that long ago. But she said, if you start the wor your day with worship, it's proven that'll affect your dopamine levels like nothing else. So what happens, beloved, when you come into the presence of God, when you come into the spirit of God, and you feel him, you feel his love, you feel his presence, it's not just spiritual, it's neurochemical. Like, you know, Morgan and I are dear friends. If I walked up and hug Carrie, or she trusts me, she, it, it would affect her. She'd feel loved. 
Not just because she's known me since, how old, when did I first pray over you? 19, 17? 19. Of course, she's 29 now, 10 years ago. 29, give or take a few years. Now listen to me. When you're loved by God, it's not just spiritual. Your levels of oxytocin, oxytocin, pardon me, dopamine, serotonin, to be loved by God, that's how you're created to be. So what happens is, as you're showered with neurochemicals, your circumstance of anxiety hasn't just changed, but your psychological state has changed because all of a sudden, in the middle of it, you see it differently and feel it differently. And that's one of the reasons the practice of worshiping. I thank you for what you're doing in my daughter. I thank you for what you're doing in my son. I thank you. You know, and Kathy and I, we, we lay hands on each other every night and anoint each other with oil and pray for different things in our lives. Now, watch this. Let's go a little farther here. Let's talk about practices for a moment. If, I don't know if I put this first, but if you go to Philippians 4.8, it says this, you know, think on those things which are lovely, beautiful, wonderful, etc. And um, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Now, I have two things I practice. And I'm going to share them with you before I close. Like the ancient Israelites, I've discovered that it's very easy to fall back into the patterns of stress and anxiety. Here's two things I do. The first one I've told you about. The second one I'm going to introduce you to. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, so I worship through my anxieties. I pray through my anxieties. I do that. But I also practice what I call vertical shift. How many of you find it very hard to look up to heaven sometimes? You're fixated on your pain, fixated on your problems, all this. Now, one of the verses I use a lot is 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, I do not live by what I see, I live by what you say. So, let me break this down before, before I summarize this message. You won't win many battles living in your head. You know, when my son was dying and you know, you think of these things, he'd signed a college scholarship at 228 pounds to play football. Now he's 107 pounds after going to the mission field. God should keep him safe, getting a terrifying parasite. Now he's dying and the skin's peeling off his body. You know, I'm, God's gonna heal him. Well, my brother died at 24. Devil reminded me, ah, oh, you're right, devil he did. He's 20, my son is 24, I mean, back and forth. The fact of it is, the battles in your mind are many times won through your mouth. Let me explain this to you and why this is so important. And you're not looking up somebody here that's never had pain, okay? How do I handle that? How do I manage that? Watch this. The Bible says in Romans 10, 6 to 10, the righteousness based on faith does not say in your heart, get up to heaven and bring God down. Or, 
go down into the abyss and bring him up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Now, we know this is salvation if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But I apply this. So I've got a lot of word in my heart. You go, well, I don't have much in my heart. Well, I'm afraid it doesn't come by osmosis. You might need to read the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. I grew up in a Christian home. When I learned to read, my parents, my brothers learned to read the Bible. I was made to read the Bible. I'm glad now. So what I find is that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I know through Ephesians six seventeen that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the rhema, not the logos, the expressed word of God is powerful. So this morning when I woke up and last night when I went to bed, I begin to confess what God says about me. I spend very little time begging God to do what he's promised and much time confessing him. Woke up this morning. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I went to bed last night. I, I have all things are possible for those who believe. God has provided every one of my needs. The Bible says very simply, I'll run and not grow weary. I'll walk and not faint. The Bible says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I go to bed that way, I wake up that way. Why is that? Because there's nothing that'll shift you like confessing the word. I slow read the Bible, but if you begin to speak, what are you facing in your business? I'm always facing something. It just depends what it is. I'll wake up. Father, I wanna say right now, my God will supply all my needs. I want to say right now, you will reap what you sow. I have sowed. I know I will reap. You say every time I give, I, I had a credit in heaven. God, give me back. Listen to me, beloved. Am I name it and claim it get rich? No, but I do want to be rich enough to give away everything God wants me to give away. Now watch this. I confess it every morning. You know, I'm 69. You get more tired then. I used to drive all these old saints around in the back of my car. They'd be quoting the Bible, praying, worshiping. Why? Sooner or later, you get out all the hormones you need. You need the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. I'm praying. I'm rejoicing. Every morning I get up. Your, your word is in my mouth. You say, when I found your word, I ate your word, and it became life to me. I say, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I need guidance. Your word is my light. Beloved, listen. You won't win those battles in your brain. You'll only win them in your mouth. You begin to confess what God says, who God says you are. It will affect you. You know, people that, one of the finest ways to exercise right now is you watch it, you can see it, look at it online. People lifting weights and doing all those things while they're confessing all these promises. You know, most people are confessing what they don't believe is true. I'm, I'm great, I'm wonderful. No one really believes that. But the fact of it is, in Jesus, you're great. In Jesus, you're wonderful. In Jesus, you're always loved. In Jesus, you're amazing. Now, I'm out of time. You say today, Jim, I need to appropriate more peace. Raise your hand right now. I'm going to pray for you. Wave at me real big so I can see you. There you are. Holy Spirit, pray this. Jesus, I receive your peace. It doesn't work like the world's. That means I can always have it, regardless of my circumstances. Lord, there is no natural peace in this world, but I can always have peace.
Now let me pray. Lord, we marvel when you stood in the boat and spoke to the winds and the waves, be still. But sometimes the scariest storms are on the inside. And I say to my beloved family here at Mosaic, peace, be still. I say, peace, he's left you. His peace, he'll give you. It does not work like the world works. When the disciples were locked down and locked up, you walked through the wall. The first thing you said was, peace, be still. In this time of turmoil, turbulence, and tumult. Guard our hearts by your base. Guard our hearts by your base. Let your presence grow richer here. Let your spirit transform more lives. Morgan or whoever. <laughs>